I know uh, we all have dreams as children. Uh, one of my dreams was uh, that I would grow up one day and be a tornado chaser, uh, at least a meteorologist. I had uh, dreams, uh, aspirations of uh, being an NFL quarterback. Still, still not giving up on that. Um, but one of my weird dreams was um, I always wished that I could spend at least one day on the Price is Right showcase showdown. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I could just have one moment in time where I get to gauge some prizes, throw out my bid, and see what happens. And um, the showcase showdown is like the ultimate moment in any game show. It's better than Jeopardy's final question. It's, it's certainly better than the $21,000 pyramid. But every once in a while, something very weird happens in the showcase showdown on the Price is Right and I thought I would show you one of those moments. So my friends, to the screens, check this out. All right, welcome back everybody. Sharon, get all those trips around the world, four big trips plus a safari in Africa, you bid $30,525. Actual retail price, $31,019. Difference of $494. Terry, you had the trailer, jukebox, bid $23,743. Actual retail price, $23,743. You got it right on the nose. You went by showcase. Don't showcase. Right on the There's a lot of weird things about that moment. How about number one, Drew Carey, no enthusiasm. Zero. Here's why, though. Here's why. Let me tell you, there's a whole backstory to this moment. Okay? This same guy bid precisely right on the first bid to come up even on stage. And so all the producers were in, in his ear believing that he cheated because he guessed twice. Right. Okay? So later, Drew Carey was like, I, I'm sorry I wasn't excited. I never thought the show would air because we thought this guy was cheating. Well, well come to find out, the guy wasn't cheating at all. Listen to this. He had been watching Price is Right. I listened to an interview by this guy. That's how I spend my time, okay? <laughs> he, he had been watching the Price is Right, and all of the items that were up for bid were used before. And so he knew all of the exact prices. He did admit that he added the 734 on the end just for good measure, but, but he, like, he knew the exact prices of what they were worth. And so literally double showcase right on the nose. They said it hadn't happened since like the 1970s. Okay. So it's really, really interesting then the power of knowing what something is worth. Uh, let, let me explain to you what I mean. Uh, next slide. If, if we all went into Papa John's pizza, which we'll have uh, that here tonight amongst some other kinds of pizzas. If we all went into Papa John's and you went up to the counter and you said, hello, Papa John's man um, I, or woman, uh, I would I would like a pepperoni pizza. And then, you know, they like typed it all in. And you ordered one pepperoni pizza. And they came back to you and they said, that'll be $165. Like, based on experience, you know, like, this is not how much a pizza costs, you know? So you would be like, uh, excuse me, I believe, I believe you've made a mistake. I have a coupon here. It's $12.50. You know what I'm saying? So, like... Again, you, you would never be, be fooled by that. If you went to Walmart, next slide, some of you Star Wars junkies, okay, um, uh, Rogue One coming out soon. 
and you uh, went over to the shelf and didn't look at the prices because you kind of guesstimated. You know, the full saga set, every Star Wars that they make in Blu-ray, and you got up to the counter, and they were like, oh, oh man, wow, this is a really cool saga Star Wars set. Uh, that'll be $17,000, and you know, 17 cents. You, like, you would, you would, like, punch the clerk, you know? Like, I don't, I don't know what your problem, but, like, like this can't be more than 100 bucks, right? Because your experience tells you that a Blu-ray set, even though it's Star Wars, unless, like, literally you're going home with Darth Vader, it's only costing under 100 bucks, right? Okay. But then, all of a sudden, I started thinking. I called my um, Heidi's uncle, Marlon, is a coin dealer. And he deals in all kinds of coins. He has several shops up in uh, the parts of Chicago. Great dude. And I asked him, I said, what's a really rare coin? And so he said this coin, the uh, 1804 silver dollar is very rare. And so if, if you and I, okay, plain simple Joe, uh, Joes, not knowing our coins, if all of a sudden we're like sifting through grandpa's old stash, okay, and we came upon an 1804 silver dollar, like, we, we would be thinking to ourselves, oh, this is pretty rare, right? And, like, this, this has to be pretty cool. And so we, we go to a coin dealer, and we're like, hey, so, you know, how, how, like, how much would you give me for this? And they said, we'll, we'll give you, listen, today only we'll give you 250 bucks. Like, I bet you and I, like, we'd be floored, right? Hold on, 250 bucks? So we're, like, bringing the rest of Grandpa's coins. Like, what, what about the rest of these? Well, unbeknownst to us, a mint condition, 1804 silver dollar is worth $6 million. Okay. I know my Uncle Marlin never does that to any patrons, okay? But based on our experience, which is none, we wouldn't know the value. We wouldn't know what it's worth. So I want to collect all of those thoughts and make this simple statement of truth. How much we believe something is worth is largely based on our experience. Now, um, I, I've shared with the crew, and I want to share with you now, I have a ton of anticipation tonight, and sometimes I struggle to know what to do with that anticipation um, because I am certainly excitable and I'm certainly passionate, but tonight I just, I want the Lord to take all of what could be true about this and completely reshape our hearts from yet again another difficult story. So if you don't mind, I'm going to pray tonight that God teaches us something about his love that none of us could have ever expected. Is that cool? Can we pray that? Let's go for it together. Come on. Lord, um, I'm so thankful that your word is not dependent on me or anyone else in this room. And so, Father, we rest on the power, the movement, and the reality of your Holy Spirit tonight to come in strength. God, change our perspective Stir repentance in our hearts and teach us truths, God, that we could have never imagined that we would learn tonight. We pray all this in your great and holy name. Amen. So if you're just joining us, we're studying the book of Joshua, and there's been a pattern in the book of Joshua. It's pretty difficult, okay? Uh, They're not easy softball stories, and so if you missed last week, or just to remind all of us, I want to show you where we've been so far in Joshua chapter 7. The first thing that we saw in Joshua chapter 7 is though God gave specific instructions, Achan stole devoted things from Jericho. The nation of Israel, 1.5 to 2.5 million of them, ransack Jericho, overtake it because of God's power. 
And God made explicit instructions. No one, no one take any bounty. It's mine. The other pieces will be destroyed. And unfortunately, Achan, in a moment of temptation, I I picture him uh, in someone's house. Okay, people are being slain around him. There's tons of chaos. Achan kind of looks around to see if anyone's looking. Maybe with his little, you know, Santa knapsack, he, he throws the goodies in, thinking no one saw. Next slide, unfortunately, some did. And so in an attempt to defeat Ai, 36 men were then killed due to the disobedience of Achan. Uh, Last week we really uh, honed in on this point that our sin, your sin, my sin, in the body of Christ impacts everyone else. And in this case, Achan's sin not only meant other uh, parameters for the nation of Israel, but it also meant the death of 36 men. They go up to Ai, overmanned Ai by far. And yet they retreat, 36 killed. Next slide, we saw this then, that God's anger burned against the people of Israel because of Achan's sin. Uh, This was a difficult reality to wrestle with. How could God's anger go against that many people? It's again because the individual affects the corporate. And finally, we saw this in Joshua 7. God said, I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things. That's what he told Joshua. Remember, get up. It's time. You need to destroy the devoted things unless you do that. I will be with you no more. That's not what you want to hear from God. And so tonight we take some steps further. So open your Bibles, my friends, to Joshua chapter 7. Our experience causes an understanding of what things are worth. Let's start here with verse 13. We've already seen one get up, and now again in verse 13. Get up, consecrate the people, or consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord, God of Israel. There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. Uh, I know all of us have been found out before, and so we can relate to this moment. You've been caught. Uh, Last week I gave the image of the hand in the cookie jar and grandma coming around the corner. We've all been caught before. Uh, can, I, can I ask you, just to anticipate for a second, Aiken's feelings at this point? He knows it was him. Uh, maybe he's hoping that there are others so that he can share in the guilt or the judgment. But could you imagine the command going out to consecrate yourselves for tomorrow? We're going to figure out what happened. We're going to figure out who did this. I- I'm just asking, do you think he got any sleep? Just about every person in this room has had sleepless nights based upon sin that you've committed. Whether it's something that you feared you would get found out about on the next day or something that had already happened in you. So imagine, right, like Joshua starts telling everybody, consecrate yourselves because tomorrow it's going down. We're going to figure this out. We're going to go after it. And I have to imagine Achan sitting in all of his anticipation, sleepless, wandering around. And then in verse 14, we see the strategy. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord uh, takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord uh, takes shall come near man by man. So what's happening is there's a a narrowing down process of how we're going to figure out why it's Achan. The question is, why does God do this? He could just say, I saw you aching. Right. Like, you're an idiot. You thought no one was watching. I was watching. 
I'm God, I saw you, reach down with his mighty right arm, pluck him out. Why in the world does he go through the process, families, clan? It's like this narrowing down. I believe that part of it, in part, it's God wants to show the nation of Israel yet again how serious his commands really are. So it begs a moment for you and I, right? Like when we read the scripture and we've talked about his commands as gifts very often around here, they're like Christmas presents, Christmas morning over and over every time we see the commands of God. Can I ask you, when was the last time the seriousness of the commands of God hit you again? You were overwhelmed by how much God takes serious these gifts that are called commands. Why? Because he cares for us. Colin, I long for you to love your enemies. Why? Because, Colin, your life will be so much more joyful if you leave the bitterness and embrace loving your enemies. You see, God takes his command serious because he knows the benefit for his people. And yet some of us are still thinking that God's some dictator with a magnifying glass holding it between the sun like we're little ants, that he's going to smoke us whenever we disobey instead of seeing a God who's saying, here, I have commands for you. And so I believe he's going to go through this process so that the nation of Israel makes sure they understand but, but until, so that further destruction isn't made that, listen, I really, really care about my commands. And you should too. So he narrows, he narrows, he narrows, only to see the fate in verse 15. And he who is taken with a devoted thing shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Now, I brought you into the heart of Achan a little bit. I want you to see things from a little bit of a different perspective. Your dad was one of the 36 killed. You now know that your dad was killed because of one man's sin that soon we're getting ready to find out. And now you know, as a 16-year-old, that that person is going to be burned with fire, whoever that was. We saw a couple weeks ago, the wages of sin is death. Can you imagine, like, just the weightiness of this moment right now for the whole nation of Israel? Now, some of us could picture a vengeful families of the 36, like, yeah, he's, he's finally going to get what he deserves. You can see it because you see it in yourself. Moments of jealousy, moments of rage when someone's wronged you. God, now it's time that they get theirs. But then when God, in his grace, puts the mirror in front of us, at the moment that our vengefulness starts to rage, and he reminds us what we deserve, how much we've wronged, I'm just saying, this is a heavy, heavy moment for the nation of Israel. So please, as best you can, get there. Whoever the perpetrator is, they're going to be burned. Verse 16. So Joshua rose early in the morning, which we've seen this pattern. And, and as for me, like, if this is Joshua, I'm not so sure I want to rise early on this morning. Like on the hard days, how many days are you just like, Lord, please, like, let me just sleep through the snooze. Lord, please, like, let me wake up at noon. You know, like, like just please, I, I, don't, I don't even want to live today. But Joshua, up early, again. Maybe it's because he's 90, old people wake up early. Maybe it's just because he's anxious to see the movement of God. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe. Tribe by tribe. Is this the one? 
We get a picture earlier, maybe they casted lots. God used the lots to show. We see the mention of the lot earlier. And then uh, the tribe of Judah was taken. So now we've narrowed it down to the tribe of Judah. Verse 17, and he brought near the clans of Judah. And the clan of the Zariites were taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zariites, man by man. And Zabdi was taken. Remember the lineage of Achan last week. And he brought near uh, his household, man by man. And here we go. And Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. So uh, some of you are really enamored by trials. My wife is one of those. She's very intrigued by trials and jury selections and, you know, the, the judiciary process. This trial is done by a judge that has already seen the camera footage. You guys see what I'm saying? Like, God already knows who, like he's already seen all of the evidence needed. So I just, I want you just for a second to imagine this process. Imagine Achan. Right, he's like, maybe God didn't see. And then the tribe of Judah. Well, maybe it's, and then his family. And then all of a sudden, it's him. Left standing there in front of the nation of Israel. Can you imagine this? Some of you can Because your sin has been found out, it's been made public, and you in that moment have felt like you're standing alone. Everyone's looking at me, I stand judged. People are throwing stones. This is a very intense moment. Verse 19, one of the most powerful in this section. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, don't you love that? This parental, still loving, he doesn't take the dagger out. My son, he says, my son. Give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Look what he says. Do not hide it from me. He is giving Achan a chance to own it. Next slide. This is my garage. There used to be a window there. Yesterday, there was a window there. We have a lot of family. Uh, my sons are out playing in the yard. A couple weeks ago, we were throwing the baseball around. Of course, inevitable. Baseball, you know, kind of slices up one of, the, one of the window panes. I kind of thought it was cool at that point. We got a broken window. We can say it was, it was because baseball, you know, it's pretty fun. But yesterday, at the end of a lot of family, I see a lot of hustle bustle going around. I see like my wife going up the stairs, going outside. It seems like people are under rest. And so at the very end of law family, like my sons come in, I can see they're distraught. Heidi comes in, I can, I can tell she's distraught. And later I, I hear the story. So my sons are playing in the backyard. They start throwing the Frisbee, okay? And so, yes, of course, I'm sure accidental, the Frisbee winds up going through the window, breaking some more of the glass, well, then what, what transpired is my sons thought in all of their intelligence that they should then just do it the rest of the way. So they went in the garage, got baseball bats out of the garage, okay, and just started bashing in the garage window. Now, no less than 18 hours before this, I had shown my boys the window and said, listen, no one mess with this window. Your arm could get sliced off by playing with this. And then I hear they're beating in the window with baseball bats. Okay. Some would say creative. I'll give them that. But, but this is way, 
So I sit him down. All right, Dawson Maddox, what happened? Dawson goes first. So, Dad, um, I had the bat, and it accidentally went behind me. This is his story. It accidentally went behind me and hit, and hit the window pane. And so then I look at Maddox, and, and I'm like, is that true? And he instantly, he doesn't even answer that question. He just goes to him. I'm like, son, did you beat in the window? Uh, Dad, it was, it was a total accident. You know, I'm like, none of them. None of them willing to say what everyone knows is the truth. I mean, caught red-handed and still unwilling to own. Maybe you relate just a little bit, right? Maybe I relate a little bit. Caught red-handed. I mean, it's very, very clear that I have wronged and still unwilling at times to own. Next slide. Let me ask the question this way. Why, why, my friends, do we struggle taking ownership of our sin? Why? One of the things I'm very, very passionate about, though I struggle with often, is the defensive spirit. Wouldn't our lives be so much more joyful if none of us were ever defensive? Think of the reconciliation that can happen in relationships. If when you brought a grievance against another brother in love and you spoke the truth in love and you shared with them how they hurt you, and instead of being met with a defensive, instantly on guard, instantly on their haunches like a cat, instead they just owned. Instead they listened. Think about your nature. Like why are we so quick to want to defend ourselves, especially when we've hurt people? I've seen this in myself and I've seen it in plenty of others even here recently. We think then an apology is if I've hurt you, I'm sorry. They just said they hurt you. You see what I'm saying? Like we always add the extra adjectives to still give us a way out. Well, if I hurt you, because even though you said I hurt you, you really shouldn't have been hurt. And again, if I had a nickel for every one of those conversations, I said myself, or Ben, and this would be the truth. Why do we struggle taking ownership? Can I tell you why? Next slide. I believe this is why. This is why. We fear the truth about ourselves. We think that by denying it, then we're going to somehow step on the side of it. That if we don't take ownership of it, maybe then it's not true. We fear that maybe we really are an adulterer. We fear that maybe we are a horrific friend. Listen, somebody. We fear that we are failing miserably as parents. You name it. Owning it, communicating it, saying it, is that final piece of I understand right now, this is where I am. The issue is we've attributed this truth with hopelessness. That by getting to the end of ourself, that that would be hopeless. But those of you who have gotten to the end of yourselves, you know that is where hope begins. This is me, messed up, depraved, fallen, broken, A parent in need of God's grace. A husband in need of God's grace. A friend who is unfaithful and longing to grow. Joshua gives Achan a chance to own it. All right, my son. Now, listen. Achan knows 
the way of God. Achan knows, and he's beginning to wrestle with the reality of what's coming. God has just said, he will be burned. But he's got nowhere to hide. Here's his response in verse 20. Look at this. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against who? The Lord God of Israel. You know, you know why he makes that note? Because it was God that he sinned against. I think we've lost that perspective, my friend. We think that even in our gossip or our judgment or our anger, that our largest sin or our largest piece of our depravity is sinning against one another. Listen, if we've gone and disobeyed the commands of God, we are disobeying God. And yes, the impact is on the body of Christ, but Achan, nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. He lays it out. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, which is Babylon, this shining piece of wardrobe, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them, and see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. He leaves no room here for error because he has nowhere to hide. And Achan has now learned the lesson that many of you have learned. Truth is buoyant. Come on. It's buoyant. You think you can hide? You've convinced yourself no one will find out. That secret sin will stay secret. But truth is buoyant. Listen, marriage is in the room. If you think somehow that a porn addiction isn't going to be found out by your spouse, and I'm not saying, oh, I know you're looking at porn, but the intimacy is gone. The sexual intimacy is fleeting. The connection between the two of you is, is going like all of those are ways that we find out the sin of one another. Something's happening here. Truth is buoyant. And so he lays it down. Now, this brings up precisely what we looked at last week. The spiral of sin. Next slide. You see what he says? He started with what? Seeing it. And again, I picture him coming into a home. He's like, oh my goodness, look at that garb. Then he sees silver. Then he sees gold. It's shiny. And in this moment, he is wrestling internally. Come on. You know the moment. You've maybe had hundreds of them today. Do I go after the shiny thing? Do I pursue the shiny thing? Or not? And there he is in this moment. And so again, I picture his cloak or whatever. He, he all of a sudden takes the wardrobe and he takes the gold and he, and he takes the, the shekels. Saw a covetousness that leads to taking and then hiding. But I want to contend to you right now, it could have stopped. The spiral could have stopped with seeing it. The spiral did not have to continue. I hope you've experienced victory in this in the last week. The spiral of sin can be stopped by the power of Christ in us. The quick conviction. The Holy Spirit in us that's saying, wake up now before this thing spirals out of control. It could have broken. He sees it. He knows it. 
And in that moment, wrestling with all the common realities of what's to come, he could have walked out of that house. He didn't. Nowhere to hide, truth being buoyant. He looks at Joshua and he says, I saw, I coveted, I took, and then like all of us seem to do, I hid. Because that's a good idea. I'll go back to my tent, I'll throw it in the dirt, and no one will know the difference. The moment we believe that God sees everything is the moment our life changes. So here's what happens, my friends. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tents. I like the word run there. I personally don't like like to run, okay? It's not very fun, but it shows shows the expediency of how quickly they want to resolve this. He sent messengers and they ran to the tent and look, Behold, it was hidden in the tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua, to all the people of Israel, everyone seemingly standing by, and they laid them down before the Lord. Uh, Our culture, uh, back when the CSI started to come out, it was in this rage of CSI. I I personally like CSI Miami. The rest of you guys used to like Horatio, like he was always putting, you guys remember this? The redheaded you know, like there, there's just, there, there's something interesting and there was something luring to our culture that, you know, like these crime fighters could take some evidence and then find it out and figure it out in the end and Horatio would put his glasses on in the end and always save the day. The evidence is unbelievably clear. There's nowhere to run, there's nowhere to hide. The nation of Israel looking on, Achan, looking on, Joshua, looking on. Do you feel that moment? Listen, I don't imagine people are cheering. I don't imagine there's a, oh, we figured it out, praise be to God. I don't, I don't imagine that. I imagine the heaviness that was on the nation of what must happen now. Achan was people's friends. He had family. We're going to see them here in a second. And now they're all watching what I believe no one really wants. But look what happens. Verse 24. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the cloak, And the bar of gold. What else? And his sons. And daughters. And his oxen. And donkeys. And sheep. And his tent. And all that he had. And they went with them. Brought them to the valley of Accor. Which means the valley of trouble. Verse 25. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble upon us? Notice he gives no moment for Achan to answer. The Lord brings trouble on you today and all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. Jared and I did as much research on this as we could the reason why there's research needed to be done is because there are some commentators that believe it was just Achan 
that died. And so my right away problem was, but the pronouns say differently. Look at this. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble upon us? And all Israel stoned who? Him. And what? They burned them with fire and stoned who? Them with stones. And so Jared, thankfully, was able to look further into the Greek here. And by every intensive purposes, like this is plural. So Achan and his family died. Now the question is why? Well, listen, in all likelihood, families were structured living in the same place of lodging, the same tent. And so if they weren't for God, they were against him. And so if they were aiders and abettors, right? So if his kids knew about this treasure, which I have to think they did, right? In fact, they they probably helped dig the hole. Now they find themselves responsible as well. This is heavy, right? The same heaviness from a couple weeks ago. And the question is, why would a loving God dot, dot, dot? And I understand the heaviness and I'm with you in the heaviness. But what I keep running back to is for the wages of sin is death and these Israelites don't even, don't even deserve to live and breathe, let alone be called this people. And so for God to make very clear his instructions, no one take the devoted things. If he doesn't bring trouble on Israel, then God is not a promise keeper. You guys see that? Listen, you parents, you guys know this because we relent like crazy. Come on, parents. Like we're like, oh, kids, listen, if you, don't, if you do that, then this is going to happen. And how often are we like, yeah, but that's going to take too much work and it's time to go to bed. So just go, right? You know what we teach kids in our lack of discipline? That we're not keepers of our word. Think about it, parents. How many times do we lay down punishments or discipline and then pull back on it? I'm so thankful that God stays true to his word. I told you I would bring trouble, and now I am. So this verse ends with some tombstones. Verse 26. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his anger, his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Trouble. Now, I have a very, very important question to ask you. Next slide. You think as he was standing before the nation of Israel, before the stones started to be thrown, do you think Achan in that moment said, this is worth it? You think in that moment he was overwhelmed with, yes, I'm so glad that I made this decision. No way. In that moment, he's confronted with the reality that there is no possible way he would go back and do the same thing again. It wasn't worth it. I'm having to now give up my family my own life because of my sin? It was not worth it. And so then I started wrestling. What if, what if, when we came to moments of sin or not sin, our perspective of worth 
all of a sudden got very clear. I started to wrestle with in my heart, could that do something transformative in us? If as Achan goes and he has the opportunity to fill his cloak or his satchel with the gold, silver, and the wardrobe, if he would have just halted for a second and asked himself, is this worth it right now? Is the treasure or is the the fleeting opportunity that I'm going to have to show my family that I'm going to provide for them? If he would have just stopped for one second and thought to himself, hold on, my kids are going to die, my sons, my daughters, my oxen, I am going to die. This is not worth it. And though he saw the temptation, he runs. Do you see? So then what does it tell you about us? It means we are looking at the options and making discernments based upon worth that are false. It's like we're looking at the option with a penny and with $10 million, and for whatever reason, the penny is more shiny. So I want to show you what I mean. Colossians chapter 3 shows us a list, a litany of sins. I want to give you some examples. Next slide. Has the affair ever been worth it? Has the pornography ever been worth it? Was there ever a moment after the six seconds of pleasure that you said to yourself, this is what life's all about? Think about it. How about evil desire? How about covetousness? How about anger? Listen, was there ever a moment after you went off on your children or your spouse or a friend or a coworker, somebody? Or how about the clerk in the restaurant because they got your order wrong? Was there ever a moment when the rage comes out that like three minutes later you were like, I'm so thankful that I just yelled at that person. I'm so thankful that I said those things to my spouse that I threw those daggers, they had to cut deep. I'm really glad they did. In fact, I missed one. I wish I would have thrown another. No, those of us walking in the Lord, we leave those moments and we're like, there is no possible way the rage, the anger, the yelling was worth it. Like, if I could take those words back, I would. How about the gossiper in the room? Obscene talk. Oh, listen, I know the fleeting moment where you stroke your insecurity I know it feels good all these things feel good for a second all these things grab pieces of us but have you ever walked away from defaming someone else and three four five days later under the conviction of the Holy Spirit you're like I'm really glad I did that they deserve that in fact no we we walk away and we say it's not worth it So then the question is, why do we keep choosing the penny? Why do we keep going back? Our experience tells us it's not worth it. Think about your life. The months, the years, the days you've lived, they are one big evidence that it is never worth it to indulge in the sin when God has provided a different way. It's not worth it. So why do we? 
Next slide. I think there's something to this, and I want you to hear my heart on this. I think we fear the truth about ourselves so much. Please hear this. But we are unwilling to see the beauty of the gospel. We fear the truth about ourselves so much. The truth of what our sin means. The truth of what our past means. We fear it so much that we are unwilling to rest in this truth from Romans 5. Next slide. Look at this. For while we were still what? While we were still weak. While we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. One will scarcely die for someone that actually should be died for. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even die. Verse 8, listen to this. But God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died. We fear the truth about ourselves. God, knowing the truth about ourselves, dies. He knows every nook and cranny. Every facet of our life, every lie, every cheat. Every adulterer, every pornography view. We fear it so much, and yet God has said, I've seen it all. And while you were still there, I've still died. I have shown you what's worth it. I have given you evidence of what's worth it. I sent my son to show you that the glory of God and the love of my children is worth the sacrifice of a savior. Brothers and sisters, you are worth it. Tonight we don't have to fear knowing the truth about ourselves. We get the opportunity tonight to celebrate the truth about God. That he's seen what's under the tent and he still says, you can be my son and daughter. That is the gospel. Let's stand together. So to those who have been hiding, to those that think there's no way that someone would see or know, to those living in unconfessed and unrepentant sin, to those right now in this moment have believed for years that God doesn't love you, let me right now by the truth of the power of the Savior, beg to differ. So Father, will you blanket us in your love? Will you help us believe that we don't have to hide anymore, that we can be hidden in you? So Father, I pray that our sin would no longer have worth that you would show us, God, the fleeting passions will fade. God, help us rest in the, in the eternal nature of your love. God, right now, like only you can, blanket this room with grace and mercy and love.